This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 16, and I'm uh, reading from the uh, NIV translation. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thanks be to the Word of God. Well, um, if you were here two weeks ago, the verses that Barry just read, or at least some of those verses, may have sounded familiar because we have already looked at uh, verses 6 through 10 of, of 1 Timothy. And so today I want to pick up where I left off and look at verses 11 through 16, but I think, to be honest, we'll probably just look at verse 12 specifically, and then next week we'll pick up the rest as well. But in the message two weeks ago, we talked about training for eternity. And we train for eternity by doing a number of things, by embracing our calling as servants or as Paul wrote here to Timothy as good ministers of Jesus Christ. We train for eternity by speaking the truth and love to one another, that we help each other uh, sharpen uh, our walk with Jesus uh, through time by speaking the truth and love to one another. We train for eternity by going deeper into the word. We train for eternity by what I said called then avoiding junk food because as Barry read, we were reminded that we should have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. It's just as a waste of time. We train for eternity by being disciplined, and we train for eternity by working hard. And so training for eternity will require this and even more as we train for godliness. It will require that we go all out, giving our everything, knowing that there are no shortcuts or fast tracks. Our summer series is called Going All Out. We just sense that as we are about to close one chapter in the story of TCC and start another with a physical relocation into our own building for the very first time in our history, that it's a perfect time to regroup, recalibrate, and refocus on the stuff that is really important. And most of the time, the really important stuff is just the basic stuff the stuff that we tend to get lazy about, the stuff we neglect, those things that we might become comfortable with and we just need a little wake-up call. And so Pastor Ken started us off by challenging us to learn to trust Jesus when we're not comfortable and may be in need of a miracle. 
And then, as I said earlier, I spoke about training for godliness. And then last week, Pastor Ken helped us to discover the freedom that comes when we take the perspective of a steward instead of an owner and become a giver and develop a generous heart like God's. And so this morning, I want to return to these verses here in 1 Timothy to remind us that training for godliness is a daily pursuit. There's no taking off. There's no going on vacation. We are just now, what, less than two weeks, I think, away from the start of the Olympics. And I don't know about you, but there's something very attractive to it. I don't know what it is. I don't really think about it for four years. And then I'll stay up like till one o'clock in the morning watching diving or something like that. And, and really no interest other than to see, you know, to know that these are the world's most elite athletes competing at the highest level on the biggest stage, of course, in the world. The Canadian team has a theme or a slogan that's called give your everything and just put it all out there. And I can assure you that there is no slacking off even now as they train and head for, for look forward to just these, uh, these next few weeks. And um, uh, Simon Whitfield, uh, the triathlete for Canada, was named as the flag bearer this week. And maybe you followed this story a little bit. And I saw just a clip of an interview. And I thought it was so interesting because this is his last Olympics. You know, he, he won gold, I think it was in, in, uh, was it in Sydney, and then he won bronze. And so this is now going to be his last Olympics. He's going to retire. And they asked him, what are you going to do the day after? And he said, probably hang out at a park with my kids. And you think about that. I mean, he's been so focused, I suspect, on training that it has consumed his time and his energy. And he realizes that what has happened is is he's sacrificed the time that he's had with his kids. But he was giving his everything to achieve this goal and realizes that when this is over, he will refocus his priorities. But I go to these verses in 1 Timothy Not only because we looked at them a couple of weeks ago, but also to remind you that these are some of the verses that our children are going to be memorizing throughout the summer. And specifically, they will be learning about these verses today. And so I want to encourage you, parents, that if you're helping your children, I think it's the grade one to six, so if you have children in that age group and they're learning these verses, I want to encourage you, take up the challenge and memorize them along with them as well so that you'll know even this morning maybe a little bit of more insight and you can use what we said earlier about Deuteronomy. You know, you can remind them, you can talk about this on your way home from church today or this afternoon or around the dinner table this evening. But First Timothy is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, a young pastor whom he was mentoring. And so First and Second Timothy and then the, the letter that immediately follows to Titus are known as the pastoral epistles or letters. And verse 11 here in 1 Timothy, implies a certain authority with which Timothy is to command and teach these things. Timothy, as a pastor, had some challenges to overcome, not the least of which was his age. The responsibility to pastor may have been unnerving for a variety of the reasons, but the fact that he was young was seen to be a problem. Youth, let's say less than 40 is often viewed maybe with a certain suspicion, a critical eye, kind of a, well, what does he know anyway? 
No, I can say that because I'm 45 now. But I was a senior pastor when I was only 30. And so I often felt like I could identify with Timothy. But I remember having great confidence, even in ministry and in preaching and teaching, because of these very verses. Command and teach these things. It's like, okay, that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm going to do. But our teaching, interestingly enough, is not just about our words. It never is, really. The answer to how we might teach is found in verse 12, when Paul says to Timothy, listen, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. This phrase, looking down, it really carries the idea, really, of kind of despise or close their mind. In other words, don't let anyone think that you don't know anything or have nothing to say. Just say it. Command and teach these things. And Timothy was in a tough place. There were false teachers that were refuting what he was teaching. And then, of course, he was being criticized because of his age. Oh, what does he really know anyways? And Paul's advice was for Timothy to silence the critics with his behavior. Now, while these verses were specifically written to address the issues Timothy was facing and to encourage him in his responsibilities, they nonetheless speak to a much wider audience, namely all of us today. Because the simple fact is that when you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, people will be watching you as well. People were watching Timothy. And so Timothy says, don't worry about what people say about your age, but set an example. Be an example. And he specifically then lists five areas of our lives where we should be setting an example or being an example. And the first of this is speech. The words we use, the things we say and talk about. Why does he have to start with this one first? I'm always struck by the words in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah the prophet, the one who was proclaiming God's message to the people of Israel, he himself says, Woe to me, I am ruined. Why? He says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, a mouth speaks. You see, words have consequences. Words reveal our hearts. Jim Van Ipern, in an article entitled, How Words Reveal Your Heart, writes this. When I am short or quick with a cutting remark, when I take a sharp tone or use biting sarcasm, I reveal a briar in my heart. I speak from a thorn that I have been tending, bitterness perhaps, or insecurity, or refusing to forgive others or myself. Left unattended, this will grow into more negative and critical speech. Each wound that is not healed, every offense not reconciled, is another briar choking out the word 
and drying up the soul. That's a great for, quote, I think. That, 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 he under, that we understand that, that what is in our hearts comes out in our speech. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, says this about our speech. As I referred to a couple of weeks ago, he talks about speaking the truth in love. And so our words, they should be truthful, but they should not be unloving, right? And they shouldn't be so loving that they become untruthful. That our words to one another would just be honest, upfront, clear, direct, but understanding that we need to be able to receive when others speak the truth to us in love as well. He says further on in chapter 4 and verse 25 of Ephesians, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. It's just a basic reminder for us that it's very important that there's integrity in our speech, that we say the truth and speak the truth. And then he goes on just a few verses later in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, I think we have to all pray that God at times develops the little filter in our minds. Do you have one of those? Right? Where you're about to say something and it's on the tip of your tongue and you just go, no, don't say it. Right? And you just hold off. That's not appropriate for me to say. It's inappropriate in this setting. That would be rude. It would be crude. It would be whatever. We need that filter. I mean, I know I've been on a few occasions where like, I've said something and it's already out there. And it's like, oh, it's too late. <laughs> I do that far too often. Don't let it come out of your mouths. And so we just need to block it, filter it, and stop. Even how we speak to one another, how we speak to our spouses. You think about the example to our kids. We were talking about that all this whole morning, about how we speak and the, the things that we would say to them and how we speak lovingly, respectfully between husband and wife and the example that that sets for our children. Here's a quick speech test. What are the words that come out of your mouth when you smash your thumb with a hammer or maybe spill coffee on your keyboard? It's just a simple little test. Every day, be an example with your speech. Secondly, be an example in life. In life. Some translations use the word conduct, just how we conduct ourselves. It really has this behavioral aspect to that. And I said earlier that people are always watching, right? And, and, and one of the greatest criticisms we probably have all heard is you've talked to people at, at your places of employment or whatever, and you talk about the church, what's the phrase that they often use to describe people in the church? Anybody want to help me? This is like the interactive part. Hypocrites, Right? Because that's what they, and why do they say that? A hypocrite is putting on a mask. It's, it's saying one thing and doing another. And so our conduct, even as we talk about it maybe on Sunday, we dress up, we look good, we whatever, and then we show up at work Monday morning, what kind of an example do we set with the way that we handle our work? Or how do we handle our wealth? How do we relate to the women around us or the men around us? 
And Paul, again writing to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, says this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, so there's an old way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We sung earlier about faithfulness and righteousness and holiness. These are things that we we long for and that we want and that we need. And we need God then to help form us and shape us and and, and to change us. And the phrases that Paul uses here in, in Ephesians, talking about putting off and putting on, they really imply a direct action on our part. Like taking off that old, dirty clothes and we, we, we take those actions that were part of us when we were far from God and we throw them in the laundry basket. We, we take them off, we put them off and we put on new behaviors that reflect the actions of Jesus who was a servant, who was kind, who was loving. And again, Paul, this time writing to Titus, makes this sobering statement, chapter 1 and verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. That's a challenging verse. Because it causes me to ask myself that as I claim to know God, do in any way my actions or my conduct or my life contradict that or in some sense deny him? I've made mention of this many times today just because it's the context of this morning. But our kids are watching us. And what actions set a godly example for them and which ones don't? As we think about that in our immediate context, I'd suggest that that's a great place to start putting off some of those things and to start putting on the good. My first kind of real car, because I had just complete beaters before this, was a 1986 VW Golf GTI. Red, sunroof, it was nice. Now, sure, it took like 10 or 15 seconds to get up to 100 kilometers per hour, but it was pretty quick. And I like to drive fast. I was 20 years old. I was young. What did I know? It was cool. Speeding tickets, not so cool. So I invested in a radar detector. And then a crazy thing happened. God called me into pastoral ministry. And I first served as a youth pastor. And I can't honestly remember how it happened or even when it happened. I don't know if somebody spoke the truth and love to me. I actually think it was, but I, it's, it just doesn't recall. Uh, I can't recall kind of the exact situation that took place. But I was convicted that maybe driving fast, speeding, breaking the law, but having a radar detector so that I could break the law with confidence wasn't maybe such a great example to the youth in my care. And nor would it be to my own children today. And I remembered this because I just sold that radar detector at a garage sale for 10 bucks. And it was funny because the guy says to me, he goes, does it work? I go, I don't know. It did 20 years ago. But it just like got stuck in a box somewhere. And I went, I don't, I'm never going to use this again because I just, it's inappropriate. It's wrong. Now all of you guys are going, you're going to check your cars on the way out. (laughs) But, uh, but you get the point, right? It was just setting a bad example. That was part of the conduct of my life. 
And so every day, be an example with your life. Thirdly, and we'll move quickly through these last few, set an, be an example in love. One writer talks about this and uses the phrase unconquerable benevolence. I like that. There's nothing that can overcome just a benevolent, caring, loving heart. Love in such a way that no matter what anyone else says or does, just continue to always seek their good. This is a theme that you'll find throughout the Bible, of course, because it is such a core uh, practice of, of following Jesus. Colossians 3.14 says, And over all these virtues, put on love. Right? There's that, that, that deliberate and intentional act that we put on, which binds all of these other virtues together in perfect love. But we, we start with putting on love. It's the one that's over all of those. Ephesians 5, to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just, church, let's just be reminded this morning. Let's live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And so we extend that love and that care and that grace to others as well. And here's a good summary. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Just do everything in love. Just do everything in love. You think about sometimes, why am I doing this? Whether it's for your kids or your spouse or whatever. Oh yeah, I'm doing this in love. I want to serve them. I think all of us can relate to that and and understand that and probably immediately think of specific examples of how we can make love a daily pursuit. Fourthly, be an example in faith. In faith. And here the word really translated loyalty or again, using the same writer that used unconquerable benevolence, he talks about unconquerable fidelity to Christ. Just a loyalty and a trust to Jesus. In other words, not, not this is faith, not so much in the sense of believing, but in being faithful. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, But now Timothy has just returned from this church in Thessalonica, bringing us good news about your faith and your love. And he was commending them for them. You're being faithful to what God's called you to be. Continue to do that. Thank you for the good news. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith. And really, the question here for me that's just caused me to think through this is, What happens when we face a crisis in our life? Do we remain faithful? Do we continue to to trust God and to to, to follow after him? Or do we start to blame God because of this crisis and in essence turn our back on him? And so that's the kind of the the litmus test. Litmus test for me is, is will I stay true and faithful to God even when things seem to be going completely sideways in my life? And fifthly, be an example in purity. In purity. This is unconquerable allegiance to the standards of Christ, no matter what the cost. And Paul gives Timothy and us some good advice to follow in chapter 5 and verse 2. He just says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And again, I I think you all know what that means. I think I've told you before about Tina's brother who passed away at the age of 34. He was a youth pastor in California, and Tina's family is in Cleveland, Ohio. 
And uh, he was sick, and he literally, from the point of diagnosis of cancer to his death, was one month. And, um, and so he was flown back to Cleveland, and we had his funeral there. But he was a youth pastor, as I said, at a very large church in California. And the church there wanted to have a memorial service, and so they flew the entire family out to the church for the memorial service. But while we were there, one of the tasks we had was to, to gather up his personal belongings in his apartment that he shared with another pastor on staff. And one of the things that I caught that I've never forgotten was on the TV in their living room, they just had a little yellow sticky note right on the, sort of above the, on the frame that just said Philippians 4.8. You know what Philippians 4.8 is? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And see, they put it there because it was a visual reminder that Philippians 4.8 should inform their TV viewing. And it was a vivid picture for me. I thought, you know, this pursuit of godliness, it is a daily, moment-by-moment pursuit. And we have to sometimes take those kind of steps to put a sticky note on our computer screen or something as a reminder to say, no, you know what? That's not what I'm going to watch. That's not what I'm going to read. That's not what I'm going to look at. The bottom line in all of this is simply this, that what I am is the key to what I do. See, if I am a follower of Jesus, then I should be an example to others in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I don't know if I should ask this, but I'm going to anyways. Do any of you like country music? Yeah? I'm not going to ask you to stand, because that might be dangerous. Um, I, I didn't really like country music, but Tina like, was born and raised on country music, old country music, and, and, and now she's influenced Lucas and Anna into liking country music. And nine times out of ten when I get into the car, the station's on the, the country station. But I have to admit, every once in a while there's a song that kind of catches me and I go, okay, that's really good. It's not just about, you know, losing your dog and your car and your wife and all these things. <laughs> but there's a great song by Rodney Atkins called Watching You. Are you anybody familiar with this? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, trust me. But let me read you a couple of lines. Driving through town, just my boy and me, got the picture, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and I mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word. It started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? Wrong question. <laughs> and he said, this is the chorus, I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. 
We got cowboy boots and camel pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Now, the song does redeem itself in the second verse. We come back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. Said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Just this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike, hey, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug, said my little bear is growing up, and he said, but when I'm big, I still know what to do because I've been watching you, and it repeats the course. You see, we can be an example for both good and bad. And there will be times, no doubt, in our lives that we mess up. And when we do, it's a great example in and of itself to acknowledge that. I've had to say, sorry, please forgive me to my kids more often than I would like to remember. But our responsibility every day, it's an everyday pursuit, 24-7, is an acknowledgement that we are being watched by our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our co-workers, you name it. And I, for one, think that it's good to be reminded about that from time to time. 